If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, coming to you from the Vivid Seat Studio, and joining me today is my co-host, Curtis. And guys, as much as we love producing this podcast, and we do, guys, we really do, there's not much better in the world than talking Georgia football. Most days, we live for this stuff, but as much as we normally love it, this is one of those days where, honestly, I would rather be doing just about anything else. Saturday's loss is still very fresh, too fresh, and it's tough to even think about, let alone record an entire show breaking down every little thing that went wrong. But that is exactly what we are going to do because we're just not going to leave all of our loyal listeners hanging. You guys have been too good to us, and we want to make sure we do our part. Uh, I did have to dig really deep for motivation for this show today, but uh, dig deep we did, and here we are. Uh, I tried, I really did, I tried to rewatch as much of yesterday's game as I could, but eventually, I just, I had to turn it off, because it just, let's just say, it wasn't good for my mental health, let's say that. Uh, it's still all sort of surreal for me. In that stadium yesterday, it was, it was almost like an out-of-body experience, where there was just no way what I was seeing happen was actually happening. It was all very trippy. Uh, but anyway, you all saw what happened yesterday. I don't need to set it up for you all too much. A South Carolina team, fresh off a of bye, had a really good game plan. We never really adjusted offensively. We made multiple game-changing turnovers and generally played probably about as poorly as we could offensively to the tune of a gut-wrenching 20-17 to double OT loss to a team that, by the way, we outgained by nearly 200 yards and nearly doubled up on first downs. This really was a masterclass in how to blow a game and lose to an inferior opponent. It really was. We put on a clinic in that regard. And I told you guys in the preview show last week that I was at least a little bit worried about the situation, the early start time, South Carolina coming off the bye, having nothing to lose coming into this game, going to play really loose fast. And unfortunately... I was right about that. I'm not right about much, but I was right about that, and I wish I wasn't. Uh, what I didn't see, though, was just that epic failure of an offensive performance. And now, uh, our championship hopes have been dealt quite a blow. Not a lethal blow, necessarily, but a blow nonetheless. But I'm going to bring in Curtis now to help me get into the specifics and just try to make sense of what we saw between the hedges on Saturday. Kurt. I've been thinking all day about how to open this show and kind of how to structure it today. There's just so many things to talk about, so many different directions we can take it. So I figured the best way to do this would be kind of just to open it up and basically make it like a vent session because that's what we all want to do right now. We just want to vent and get stuff off our chest. 
But let's at least start with this opening question and then take it wherever it goes from there. There were obviously a lot, a lot of reasons why we lost yesterday. It was not one thing or one person. There were a lot of different uh, issues with uh, with that performance yesterday. But what would you point to, Kurt, as the biggest reason we lost on Saturday? Um, A complete failure on the entire offensive side of the ball. I think that's who you can completely point to for that loss. I mean, offensively, it was it was a disaster. It was it was a. I mean, is that too sharp a word? Disaster. I mean, we almost had five hundred yards. No, I mean, it was it was a it was a joke. I mean, honestly, it was it was terrible. It it was, and I I kind of not kind of. I mean, the poor defense, man. They played their hearts out. We'll get to them in a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, the defense outside that one touchdown, they kept us in that game. Yeah, that double move where Devon Wilson got beat. We're playing a little cover three. He gets beat on the double move by Brian Edwards when Edwards was playing in the slot there. But other than that, I mean, we held the South Carolina offense under 300 yards uh, in the second half. I mean, we'll, we'll get to them in a little bit here later on. But in the second half, they essentially did nothing uh, until overtime. We completely shut them out, gave the offense every chance imaginable, but they just could not get it done. So if you had to zero in, offensively, I'm totally with you. That That was the issue. I think we know that. What was it offensively that that was giving us so many issues? Like, because this was a very different performance than what we've seen throughout most of the year. Um, I think they knew everything we were doing. We could not be creative. Um, I think that there was a lack of execution, while at the same time there's a lack of play calling from the coach's standpoint. I think it was factored in from, um, you know, both groups were to blame. It wasn't that they were calling great plays and that we weren't just executing them right or that they weren't, you know, or, you know, that it was all in the coaches. I think that both played very, very poorly when it came to how they handled the game. Yeah. I mean, you saying that it was just an offensive failure. I mean, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, really it was, if you look at this I mean, you, you can point to the offensive line. Yeah. They got freaking whipped, especially in the first half. They got whipped. And I, I that was one of the things that was surreal. I mean, I just cannot believe what I was saying. And, and I talked about how Javon Kinlaw, I talked about this in the preview show, how good he was. I think this guy's a future NFL player, first team, all SEC type guy. Uh, DJ Wanham, who was questionable coming in the game. I didn't think he was going to play, but he actually ends up playing and, and made an impact in that game. But the offensive line got whipped, and we have not seen that this year. There have been times where they haven't got as much movement, but wouldn't you say, wouldn't you agree, Kurt, they just got flat-out whipped up front for good portions of that game? Um, They did. I mean, and, and that also goes into the play calling. I thought, you know, you could see that they were trying to stack up the middle, and yet we did not try to attack them on the edge. So um, we kept trying to go right at what they were their strengths and it just didn't work um you know i thought trey hill played absolutely terrible um you know the it whole, was the worst game of his career yeah i, I mean and it, it was a joke i mean even people like rick sandage and other people that i mean are good players but we made them look like they were all americans yeah and i, and I do think javon kinlaw is a borderline all-american but dj wanham is a good player not, a, not an all-american type player uh sandage is not going to make any all sec list that's not happening but you're right there were times that game was like wow this guy might be an all-american at least we're making them look that way. Uh, and it wasn't just Trey Hill. I mean, he's just one that stood out a couple of times. It was it was getting beat up front right there in the middle, uh, especially when Kinlaw was on him. They moved Kinlaw around a lot, but he was playing when he was playing on that zero one technique on the center. I mean, Trey Hill just got he got whipped more often than not. And then the, the low snaps, I mean, that's one thing that a lot of people aren't gonna point out. That threw a lot of our timing off on some of these plays that we were trying to get down the field. And he's re- uh, it used to be the high snaps, but now it's low snaps. And he he's just gotta get better, man. I think I still am very high on his potential long term, his ceiling. He's still a young player. He's got a lot of growing to do. Um, he's done a good job for us most of the time this year, but he just uh, he got whipped along with 
just about everyone on the offensive line. It was not a great performance. I think they improved in the second half. First half, though, was flat out embarrassing. So you combine that with the wide receivers essentially not being able to beat uh, press man coverage on the outside. We talked about on the preview show that South Carolina did have two pretty good corners, two bigger, longer, lankier guys, and they gave us a lot of trouble on the edge, especially when Cager goes down. That was a massive blow for us. Uh, that was a huge blow losing him because then you're then that's why Tyler Sims is forced on the field majority of the second half because Cager couldn't go and and we all saw how that turned out. But that was so when your offensive line is getting whipped up front for significant portions of the game, wide receivers can't consistently beat man coverage, and then you got we, we got to talk about Jay Fromm, Curtis. We got to talk about the quarterback play here, man. 28 of 51, 55% completion, 295 yards, only 5.1 yards per attempt. One touchdown, three interceptions. All of that coming after coming into Saturday's contest with the highest pro football focus grade among all Power 5 quarterbacks. Also, according to Pro Football Focus, he had only one turnover-worthy pass on passes over 10 yards coming into the game. Pro Football Focus also had him at second in the nation in adjusted completion percentage, accurate throw percentage, and accuracy plus percentage. But None of that was on display on Saturday. You guys know I'm the president of the Jake Fromm fan club, a uh, very proud president of that fan club, but I have to call it like I see it. I have to do it, man. I, I think this is one of Jake Fromm's worst performances. I know a lot of people point back to LSU last year, and that was a terrible performance too. I think this was right up there with that. Maybe not quite as bad, but I think it's one of his worst performances. No, the wide receivers didn't help him out. And yes, the offensive line got whipped for most of the first half and parts of the second, but you can make no mistake about it. Jake Fromm was – certainly not at his best either. Craig, am I wrong here? What did you make of his performance? Um, All right, so of his three picks, I only believe the first one was truly his fault. I don't know what he was doing on that one. Um, The second one, I really want to say that was Matt Landers. I think that's one of the biggest things that's consistently held him. He didn't play the rest of the game, essentially. Yeah, exactly. I think that's one of the things that's consistently held him off the field is he's not there yet with route running, um, decision-making, be on the same page. Um, The last one, we all know that was Tyler Simmons' fault. He has hands of bricks. Um, He is terrible when it comes to receiving the ball. But even then, I thought Jake Fromm was very off target. Like in that last drive, he had Swift on the uh, halfback route across the middle. And if he throws it in front of him. Double overtime? Yeah, or no, it was yeah, it was right before overtime on that last drive when we were trying to that get drive and also double overtime when he throws that third down pass to D Rob in the end zone. Yeah, and but see the one the Swift bothered me the most because the Swift catches that with his big play capability and the way he can make yep. people miss, you don't know what he can do once he's in the open field. You gotta give your guy a chance to make the ball. And so I thought he was just very consistently does, right? Yeah. He, he's so good, he excels at taking the check down, take what the defense gives you. But in this game, he didn't consistently do it, and I can't explain it. Well, I even when he did do it, he wasn't accurate. That's the thing. What makes him so good is his accuracy, and they was not there on display on Saturday. Um, he had a couple good throws, but a lot of time, I mean, I got to give a shout-out to George Pickens. For the most part, he made some very nice catches on balls that were not in the best of places or in the best of um, situations, but I just thought it was a very uncharacteristically poor game by Jake Fromm um, when it came to accuracy. Yeah, I do. I, I, I have to 100% agree with you. I, again, I have to – you know, you guys know I love Jay Fromm. I still think he's an incredible quarterback, but I got to call how I see it. In this game, it, it was not his best outing. Uh, far from it, and I think that's putting it lightly. I will say you mentioned DeAndre Swift coming open on that last drive right before overtime, and I mentioned him coming open on that last play, on the third down play in the second overtime, and Fromm did not hit him on either one of those plays. It's easy for us to look at that and say – Fromm should hit him there, but we also don't know what the progressions are. I do want to at least defend him there. If the first progression on like that double overtime play, that uh, third down play was was D Rob, and he thought D Rob was there, then you don't really look at the rest of the field. If your first progression is there, you go with that throw. So maybe he just didn't come off that first progression. He thought it was there and didn't ever really get to where 
uh, DeAndre Swift was. So that's a possibility. But still, he seems to have these, man. He seems to have one of these like inexplicable games in him every season. Uh, it was Auburn in 2017. It was, and he was a true freshman then. And then last year, LSU, and to a lesser degree, maybe the Texas game. I don't think he was as bad in that game. Uh, but he's so good so often. But he just randomly and so inexplicably looks like a different player about once a year. And I'm, I'm having a tough time accounting for it. So, like, Kurt, how, how do you explain that? How do you explain these just random, because like, like in Tennessee, I guess Tennessee, we were talking about how I thought that was maybe his best performance as, as a Georgia Bulldog. And then you come and you see this the following week. So, Kurt, how do you possibly begin to explain um, There, There is no explanation. There's no excuse. I mean, coming into your third year as a starter, you can't have these type situations. Um, I mean, everyone wants to compare to Alabama. I, I mean, as bad as Tua plays, you don't see him come out and be this uncharacteristically off, especially if he's healthy. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, I mean, if you want to be a good team, it a lot of it does start with your quarterback play. Um, as bad as the play calling was, offensive line, things like that, they still have to be able to step up and make the big plays, um, make the throws that when, when you can tell we're struggling and really do it. And I think that was one thing that really bothered me is it, it should not happen when it comes into your third year as a starter. No. And you, your breakdown of, of his performance was, was spot on. I totally agree with you. Just to add to a little bit, uh, it wasn't so much the interceptions that bothered me. The, the one I think you're right. One of them was his fault. At, at first, at the game, I couldn't quite tell. Like in the stands on that first interception, the pick six was he trying to throw it because he was basically he had pressure in his face, was getting hit, getting sacked as he was about to get sacked as he was trying to get rid of the ball. I couldn't tell in real time was he trying to throw the ball away and just couldn't get enough on it because he was getting hit, or was he trying to throw it to Pickens there and going back and and suffering through having to try to watch that replay today uh, as much of it as I possibly could. And watching that play specifically a couple different times, I'm pretty convinced now that he was not trying to throw the ball. I think he was trying to get to Pickens. Would you agree with me there? Yeah, I would. I mean, yeah, I think he was trying. To, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty confident saying that. And yeah. that's and that's hard to swallow for me because one of the things that makes Jay Fromm Jay Fromm is his exceptional decision making. And in that moment, that was about as poor of a decision as you can make. I actually, I said in that drive, I said, if, even if we don't get points, it's fine, whatever. We just cannot make a cash drop mistake. I said that out loud in the stadium and I jinxed us. Of course I did. And then that happens like 30 seconds after I say that. And I'm sitting here like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I mean, it really was, Curtis. It was, it was a master class. I said this earlier. It's a master class in how to blow a game and lose a game to an inferior opponent. Now, you, you give them easy pick six scores. You... You turn the ball over, multiple game-changing turnovers, um, miss field goals that you normally don't miss. I mean, just, oh, my God. just And a quarterback who's, again, quarter pro football focus coming into this week uh, through the first third of the season was the second most accurate passer in America. And he certainly was not that on Saturday. And that's so uncharacteristic. I, I, I don't know how you account for it because – it wasn't just the interception. I mean, you're right. The interception with Landers, I was totally on Landers. That's why he essentially did not play the rest of the game. It was a, it was supposed to be a side adjustment. He was supposed to run the hitch there, and he ran up the field vertically from expecting to be in a certain spot, and he wasn't there. And then Tyler Simmons needs no explanation. That was what that was. Um, so it wasn't the interceptions, but there were multiple balls where guys were open. He missed them. Or guys that he plays that he hit, you know, there were completions, but he was not hitting guys in stride, giving the chance to continue upfield and make bigger plays, which he has been doing consistently to this point all season long. We saw it last week against Tennessee. We didn't see it. We did not see it uh, on Saturday. And I just, I've been for you know, 24 hours now. Well, not, yeah, about 24 hours, just banging my head against the wall, trying to make sense of it. Like, how, why does this happen? I, 
And I don't know. I do think South Carolina had a pretty good game plan. They did have a good game. And, and I mentioned this to you guys. One thing I was, I told you I was at least mildly concerned about the fact that they, I didn't like the situation. They had the, they had the bye week coming into this, into this game. And uh, South Carolina, say what you want about their stuff. I think they have a pretty good coach and stuff. I really, I think Will Muschamp is a good football coach, especially defensively. And you give him an extra week to prepare uh, for an offense that is as predictable as our offense is. They had a really good game plan. And they did some things that I haven't really seen them do, at least in my preparation uh, getting ready for this game during the breakdown last week. Um, you can see, especially on some third down situations, they would roll a safety up like almost right at the snap timing it where the safety is almost like an extra linebacker. And they were essentially trying to take away our short passing game. That's what they were doing. They were taking away a short passing game, playing man coverage, press man on the outside with their longer receiver or longer uh, DBs and just daring us to beat them over the top with our mediocre receivers. And we just could not consistently do it. Pickens made a couple good catches, but even he wasn't getting consistent separation from those guys. And that game plan worked. They would, they would bring that safety up. Either he was, he was adding to the blitz uh, if we were staying in it with a max protect look, or he was uh, if, the, if the running back flared out as a checkdown, they're trying to take, take away the checkdown because that's what Jake does, and that's what we do offensively. Is when they try, when they take away we're, us trying to push the ball vertically on the field, we take the checkdown, and they knew that they knew like if we take away if we can kind of blanket their receivers down the field and press man and handle them one on one, then we bring another safety up and take away their short passing and those checkdowns, we can suffocate this offense especially with that defensive line that was, was giving our offensive line trouble all game long. That is exactly what happened. That's why we couldn't get anything done. That's why, you know, I talked about why I wasn't taking the checkdowns. I think late in the game when some of those were there, it's because all game long they weren't there. They were taking those away, and so he kind of just looked away from it. And, and maybe that's making sense of it. I don't know, but all I know is Jake Fromm is better than that. He has to be better than that if we want to have any remote chance of being Atlanta in December and, and trying to achieve our, our goals beyond that. Uh, he has got to be better. I'm hoping this is the anomaly, the the one weird, random, poor performance that he has in the year and everything else will be spot on. Uh, do you see – obviously this is a, a lesser opponent than what LSU was last year, Curtis. Do you see any similarities uh, in this game um, against South Carolina and, and kind of where we are now looking at the rest of the season and where we were after LSU last year? No, because South Carolina, or I mean, South Carolina, the thing was, is we had absolutely no answer. Nothing really worked in the LSU game. There were things that were working. We just went away from it. Um, the South Carolina game, it really looked like the offensive coaching staff and Kirby included had no clue of what to do. Yeah. And that was very disheartening. Yeah. And we're going to get to that in a second. And one more quick thing before we move in that direction. Talk about what was disheartening. One of the things that was most disheartening for me, probably the most disheartening for me and most concerning thing for me moving forward was we talked about all year long how like even when Notre Dame was giving us issue, like when we had issues in that game, it wasn't so much what Notre Dame was doing. It was us, right? Like we yeah. weren't making plays. Like we were doing stupid things and we weren't making plays that were there. It wasn't they were outplaying us. We just we were doing it to ourselves. And I've said that for about two, about two and a half years now that when we lose – it's about us. It's not about another team. It's about us making mistakes. And that was kind of true in this game. That when, we, when you turn the ball over four times, because uh, you can't forget the the, the fumble there. Uh, I think that, that fumble, Kurt, would you put that more on Fromm or Trey Hill? I want to say put more on Hill because he was getting his butt whooped so much that I think he was trying to get off the ball so quickly. I think, he, yeah, I think he was off the ball before he completed the snap. Uh, and, and, I look at, and I'm not trying to take it from here. I mean, just looking at that play closely, I would probably – it was probably a little bit of both – I'd probably put a little bit more of that on Trey Hill. I think he was trying to get out of the blocks a little bit before he finished the stat and got all the way up there to Fromm's hands, which – Yeah, just don't honestly, get me started. I mean, there's a, there are multiple things. Like, if, if That's the crazy thing about this game is, like, as bad as poorly as we were played, we were still, like, multiple different plays. If just one of them goes our way, we win the game, right? Like, if Tyler Simmons doesn't have the stupid interception uh, you know, off his hands, if, if Rod doesn't miss the field goal, if we don't fumble the ball there, if, if Kirby decides to kick a field goal instead of throw for a Hail Mary for – I mean, it's just, like, what are you – 
You know, I mean, just one of those things. If one of them had gone our way, but it, that's also us not doing it. But going back to what I was saying, one of the most disheartening things for me, probably the most disheartening thing was um, the fact that it wasn't really so much just us. Yes, we made a lot of mistakes, but there are also plenty of times in this game, especially in the offensive line, where we just got beat. A team beat us. They were beat. Our, they were beating up our all-world offensive line. That's highly concerning when you consider who we have left on the schedule, especially a team like Auburn uh, on the Plains, Florida, who I don't think is is as physically uh, imposing. Uh, they don't have a guy like Javon Kinlaw, but they have some really good pass rushers. Does that not at least concern you to some degree moving forward, Kurt? Yeah, don't get me started on the offensive line. I'm actually completely fed up with them right now. Um, this is, I'm, I, I'm start- tired of hearing this is the best offensive line in America. I'm, I'm going to categorically say right now, I'm not saying they can't be down the road, but right now this is not the best offensive line in America. I think they're the most overrated offensive line in the country right now. I think the one thing that bothers me the most is they will not stick to a lineup. I'm tired of this rotating players in after two plays between Ben Cleveland, Cade Mays, things like this. Yeah, I wanted Pick to ask one. you, what do you make of that? I'm, I'm, I'm sick of it. Honestly, I've been sick of it all year. Uh, if, if it's because Cleveland's a senior, you don't want to bench him, or Cade Mays can't do certain things, you want him in there. No, you need to pick someone because what is going on is you can see it's happening a lot because we're rotating guys in so much. Yeah, it's nice we have five stars and we can rotate them in, but there's a lack of communication, a lack of cohesion when we're continuously doing that, and I'm, and I'm honestly getting sick of it. Just stick with a lineup because – if not, we're going to continuously have where there's one one or a couple plays here or there. There's going to be no, uh, you know, the communication is not going to be key, and it's going to get us behind the chains as it has every game this year so far. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't know if I've seen that before to that degree. Have you any other team ever? Have you seen that kind of rotation on the offensive line, like every couple of plays, just rotating guys in and out? No, and, I mean, that. and there's there's no there's no explanation for why Cleveland and Mays are doing it, and that's the one that's bugging me the most. They'll be in there for two series, they'll be moving the ball, then they got to get Cleveland in there, or they got to get Mays in there. No, it, it, it's just it's it's gotten ridiculous. They're it rotating really like their quarter, like his DJ Shockley and David Green out there. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, we rotate our receivers in like that. I get it. But I, I've never seen another team do that with offensive line like that. I, I haven't. I've just never seen it. And you're right, the cohesion. No, and I'm sorry. Issue. I love Sam Pittman. He, he recruits well. But you got to man up and make a decision. Yeah, I, I 100% agree there. I think that's one thing that we really need to solidify um, 100%. And we have a lot of guys. I know we want to get them playing time. And that's another recruiting pitch. Hey, you can come in here. We're going to get you some playing time no matter what. But man, it just it it didn't work on Saturday. I'll say that. And South Carolina does have a good front. Javon Kinlaw is a monster. But if we're as good as we're supposed to be, it shouldn't really matter. Um, this offensive line, if they're the best offensive line in America, should never ever get whipped like that in in any situation. It just shouldn't. No, happen. I'll be honest. I was watching. I found myself watching all the big games yesterday and wishing that we would do something like that because it is it's gotten ridiculous. Yeah, it really has, and they continue to have so many issues with twists and loops and various stunts um that's what's what's really killing these guys it's not that they're just getting beat off the edges like on a speed rush it's it's and, and that goes back to communication Kurt, like you're talking about right the cohesion when you have different guys next to you on any given play and you're supposed to trust them to have this twist to have that stunt have that loop and have it figured out and we're and going back to vanderbilt vanderbilt was doing that to us with some success uh, it wasn't they were just beating us man up. They were they were twisting, looping, stunning, and giving us some issues there. Fromm took some hits in those games, we, and there were a couple of plays where we had some some deep shots dialed up, and we had some deep shots dialed up in this game that were there. There were a couple that were there, but we could not get the ball down the field uh, because Fromm either had to eat it or get the ball, get rid of the ball because we were getting too much pressure in his face. And we saw we saw signs of that against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt just wasn't good enough to do it consistently and to make it much of an issue. Uh, Notre Dame, we, were, we we did well enough. Um, Tennessee just was kind of outmanned there, but. It looks like right now when we go up against a defensive line that's that's at least comparable and can kind of neutralize what we do up front, 
we're in trouble, especially if they have – because right now, if you, look, if you have a defensive line that can neutralize what we do, can neutralize maybe our advantage in the trenches, and you have if you have a couple good corners out there that can hold up our receivers and press man coverage and blanket them, do we have an answer offensively right now, Curtis? Uh, absolutely not. Our coaches are clueless when it comes right. to that point. We don't. We don't have an answer. And that concerns me because, huh, Curtis, doesn't that sound a lot like Auburn's defense? Yep. Hmm. A lot like Florida's defense? Hmm. That's a problem. Even to lesser degree, maybe Missouri. A&M's got some good defensive linemen. Matabuke is one of the best in the, in the league. Uh, so, I mean, hmm, okay. If, if that's the recipe that gives us issues, well, we've got a couple of teams that might actually do, to do, might actually do those things better than what South Carolina does down the road. We need to figure some things out. We need to figure out some things quickly here. But before we move on to our next topic, I do want to remind everyone out there about mybookie.ag. I know the game in South Carolina did not go our way, but there are plenty of other games the rest of the way to bet on, and hopefully we'll have a much better showing against the spread throughout the rest of the regular season. My bookie has that extra something for your enjoyment. Not only sides and totals, but quarters and halves, as well as in-game action. And of course, the Bulldogs to win it all. And that just scratches the surface. We have teamed up with MyBookie this October to give you this great offer. Sign up at MyBookie.ag and use the promo code OVERTIME and they will match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME and new users get their first deposit doubled. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. All right. And you were kind of alluding to this. I'm going to go ahead and get to it here, man. After losses like this, um, really after every single loss like this, it's, it's the same refrain. But it becomes very popular to blast our offensive scheme as outdated and ineffective. Um, you were kind of getting to this, Curtis. How fair do you think those assessments of our offense are? I think it's very fair. And I think it's also the fact that we're so stubborn. I mean, I don't, we didn't even attack them on the edge once with a single run. We haven't run a pitch sweep at all this year and with our speed and things like that the way our guys can pull and things like that why are you not trying to do that no, you can see they're crowding no, we, we do not pull offensive linemen that's not in our scheme we don't do it yeah we they were attacking us up the middle it, it was it was so simple it was just sitting right there to at least try to get them on the edge to at least give them something else to think about and we wouldn't even do that i mean our passing patterns are very easy to figure out i mean it's sad when i'm watching lsu wishing our offense would be like them that's yeah. a sad statement. That's where we are right now. Do you think we have the personnel to do that? I don't think we have the receivers to do that. I mean, even then you try to at least get them spread out to open up your offense enough to do something. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it, I it's mean, tough. And there's also a way they you could easily get your receivers in motion, try to move them around. So they're not getting, all right, they're having trouble getting off man-to-man press coverage. What do you do? You try to move them so the guys can't jam them right off the line. That's the issue. We don't scheme anybody. Like we do not scheme people open. Like we don't beat people offensively with our scheme. We beat people offensively with our personnel. And when somebody can match our personnel defensively, we have a tough time doing anything. And that's kind of what happened on Saturday. They ma- they were well, matching the thing, up if, front. We can't, if we can't beat South Carolina with our personnel, I know. Then how know. the heck are we going to beat Florida? Well, I will Al- say our personnel uh, did not. Um, yeah. Auburn. Well, if we that kind of performance is not going to, we'll get blown out. But like our personnel, the thing was in this game. They did not play up to their capabilities for whatever reason, whether it was Jake Fromm, whether it was the I mean, offensive well, line. I was going to say certain people did. Tyler Simmons played right to his capabilities. <laughs> wow. Don't pull any punches, man. Please don't. Um, hey, you're I, right. I've, I've said it all season. I know, man. I know. I know. I know. I know. I, I know. mean, that's the thing. When your quarterback's struggling, when your team's struggling, you can't do those things. Absolutely not. Well, not when the ball hits you in the hands and the face mask. and uh, mm. no. 
And he, it, I understand it, if it's a hard catch, like where, I mean, you see freshmen out there, George Pickham making great plays and he can't, and our upperclassmen can't even catch them when it's in their hands. Yeah. It's kind of heartbreaking for me. Cause like Tyler Simmons is a good dude. Um, he really is. And I, I don't, I don't like bash any of our players. These guys work so hard, man. Especially a guy like Tyler Simmons is a leader and a captain on this team. I hate it, man. I don't want to bash him. I really don't. But you got to call I'm it. Not how it bash him. I'm just being no, real. You're being, you're, being not, you're being real. You're being honest. I mean, that's that's the situation. Um, and he does bring value to his to the team in, in terms of his blocking. But when Tyler Simmons has to be on the field in obvious passing situations, on third down situations, we are at a massive disadvantage because he's not going to consistently get open. Number one, and he doesn't have the best hands. He's not the biggest guy out there. I don't know what he brings to us in those situations. And well, it, it was, you talk about him being a good blocking thing is he's so bad receiving that when he is out there, you know, it's for him. You know, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and when, when Cager going down really hurt us um, because, and that might've changed the game. Honestly, he's been our go-to guy for the past couple of weeks now. Um, he's, he's, he's probably our, our, not probably he is our most complete receiver. There's zero doubt about that right now. Pickens can come on later and he's starting to do that. But right now it's, it's clearly Cager. And when Cager went down, that meant that Tyler Simmons had to be in the game pretty much the entire second half because we didn't trust Matt Landers after that, um, the miss side adjustment on the interception there. He didn't, cause he would be the other option, but, when you can't trust him to run the right route, at least you guys you can run. You can trust Simmons to run the right route if there's any silver lining there. But um, and some people are talking about this on on social media and saying like we gotta get get some other guys reps. And like I would like to say yeah, sure, absolutely. But Chris, I mean seriously, who else are you giving reps to? Like who are we gonna bring in? Who are the other options there, receiver? I mean that's the one place that in the defensive line in the last couple of years is where we have recruited t- pretty poorly. Yeah, we don't have the other options right now, uh, at least on the outside. We have plenty of – we have a couple guys in the slot with Kyrus Jackson, D-Rob, and, um, and Blaylock, but those guys are slot receivers. They don't really play on the outside. D-Rob, from time to time, can go out there, but he's really a slot guy. Then you go on the outside, we've got Cager, we've got Pickens, we've got Landers, and we've got Tyler Simmons. And when Cager goes down and you don't trust you don't trust Landers because of that interception and missed side adjustment read there, then that means you got Pickens and you've got – uh, Tyler Simmons and Pickens played well. I almost had 100 yards receiving. That was certainly his best game as a Georgia Bulldog at this point. Hopefully, we see a lot more games like that. But you can put on, you can say, yeah, Tyler Simmons. Tyler Simmons wasn't good. But who else do we have? You can put Trey Blunt out there. I mean, the guy has not played a meaningful snap in his life. Um, Tommy Bush is injured. He's he's probably going to redshirt, or I don't know what he's just not. He's injured. You got the sports hernia thing going on. I mean, I really I don't know. I mean, Makaya Tung is is redshirting. I don't know. Who else are you going to put out there? That's the thing. We don't have other options. These are the guys that we've got right now. When Cager goes down, and I'm, I'm, I'm concerned because Cager, what, from what I understand, is dealing with a separated shoulder, and he re-aggravates it every single game, and he's just being a beast out there and just is toughing it out. I mean, because you can see he did he aggravated in Tennessee game and kept playing, and it was just too much for him to handle uh, uh, this week when he when he went down. And I, I don't know, like, does that, I mean, sure, okay, he won't play against Kentucky. We, we should be Kentucky without him, whatever. Uh, you get the bye week. It, it, two weeks of rest, like, is, is that enough for a separated shoulder, Kurt? I don't, I don't know if it is. I don't even know if it matters with our play calling. Yeah, I don't know. Let, let, let's get into that. Let's, yeah, because like, this kind of goes hand-in-hand. We're talking about like, the offensive scheme being outdated and effective. Is it more the scheme or is it more like – the coaching, the play calling, it kind of, it kind of goes hand in hand with the offensive scheme. Because yeah, I, but say I, they go hand in hand because, I mean, if it's if Kirby's got to loosen the reins because other teams are just as talented, you're not always going to be the biggest offensive line, and then James Coley has to learn to scheme to get people open. I mean, you know, you have all these good teams like LSU, all the other teams. They we they know we're good. Who they're 
a lot of the time who they're going to throw the ball to, but they find a way to get them open. Like, um, you know, the play that really sticks out to me, um, you, you know, you go look at LSU, um, that last touchdown they score, they, they scheme to get Jamar Chase wide open. We don't do anything like that to scheme to get our players open. It's extraordinary. You're right. It's extraordinarily rare that we scheme anybody open. We don't, again, we, I, we just do not consistently beat people with scheme. We beat people by out-athleting them with our personnel because we out-recruit them. And again, when, when we come against teams that can at least match us and neutralize that advantage to some degree, we have a lot of trouble offensively. That's just the fact of the matter. Um, now, defensively is a different story. I do think we can out-scheme people at times. Um, but like the scheme itself, what we do, I don't have any – I know it's not the up-tempo, da, 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 what, but I, I don't have an issue because it's been effective. Go back to the last two years. In 2018, we were third in offensive efficiency. We were fourth in explosiveness. 2017, we were 20th in offensive efficiency, ninth in explosiveness. We can, we can absolutely win with this scheme. But the problem is the play calling, yes, um, and just being too predictable. Because because what I hear, Curtis, I, what I hear a lot of people say is that there's a lot of talk about how we're too conservative offensively. What I would say, I don't think it's conservative. I don't, I don't think it's the fact that we're conservative. I think it's the fact that we are far too predictable in what we do offensively. Everyone knows what we're going to do. Everyone. It's the old school mentality. It's, 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 and I say this a lot, Kurt. You and I talk about this. It's the arrogance and the stubbornness of our offensive play calling, our, just our offensive approach. Our, the arrogance that, is, that we kind of bring to our approach to offensive football is staggering. Our entire offensive philosophy seems to be just out-recruit and out-athlete the opponent. It's kind of the, it's the old school, quote, you know what we're going to do, but try and stop us mentality. That's what it is. Am I, am I off base here, Kirk? Because that's what no, I'm seeing every day. It was what Nick Saban did before he finally loosened up the reins. Yeah, because the thing is, like, I don't think we're being – like we we try to be aggressive at times, but we're so predictable in how we go about doing it. It's like in this game, we threw the ball 51 times. That's not necessarily being conservative. We dialed up shots. We just couldn't consistently get separation, and Fromm couldn't consistently hit them for whatever reason. Uh, and going back on first down, since we had 31 first down plays in this game, we threw the ball on 22 of 31 first down attempts. And uh, two of those, we ended up uh, either being sacked or as a quarterback run. So we can, uh, on those 22 pass attempts on first downs, we completed 13 of 20 passes for 136 yards in one touchdown. That is not being conservative. That is being aggressive. Uh, but we're too predictable. For example, uh, after throwing the ball on first down, we ran the ball on second down after a first down incompletion 72% of the time. If I know what we're doing, Okay, if I know what we're doing after an incomplete pass on first down, if I know that 70 percent of the time that we're going to run the football, you tell me Will Muschamp doesn't know that you tell him he doesn't know that. Of course they do. Of course they do. And and here's going back to the being predictable. We run about four different run plays, guys. We run inside zone. We run outside zone. We've got the jet sweep. And then increasingly what we're running more than anything is what's called duo. Uh, it, it's uh, it's basically a blocking scheme. It looks a lot like inside zone. It's hard to tell if it's not sometimes, uh, but it, it's kind of designed to look like that, but it's blocked differently. And it's basically a combination of like power blocking principles without pulling anyone. Cause you talk about pulling guards here. We don't pull anyone uh, duo or duel is kind of where it comes from. It's duo. Like we're trying to get double teams. It's all about getting double teams at the point of attack and rubbing up to linebackers. Uh, the tailback then kind of presses line of scrimmage, reads the mic linebacker, then chooses which gap he's going to attack based on how the mic reacts to the double teams. Um, and, th- and this is Sam Pittman's core blocking scheme, and it's increasingly coming to dominate our run game. But that's it, guys. That's what we run. We run inside zone occasionally. Very rarely will we run outside zone. Uh, we run duo a lot now. We're doing that a lot of the time. And then, of course, we'll mix in the jet sweep, although we didn't see any of that on Saturday. 
Uh, and I'll say this, Curtis, if I see us run another freaking zone read with Jake Fromm and watch the, if I had to watch the backside and crash with reckless abandon, I swear to God, I'm going to spontaneously combust. I swear to God, I am. Cause that plays be out of our clip. Do you agree with me there? Like I, if I see it one I more time, I'm going I mean, it, it's, it's just not working. He's not going to – Jay Fromm is not going to pull it. And I don't even know if we're giving him the option to pull to be honest with you. But if we're not going to give him the option to pull then someone needs to block the backside in. Because the backside in is not paying attention at all to the to the quarterback and the potential uh, pull there. Then he is going to continuously crash down on the backside and hit our running back for maybe a one-yard game, which is what happens almost every single time we run that play. It just does not work. I, I don't – I can't – I can't figure it out. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Like, that makes no sense. Uh, and we have our base actions, but we don't really run anything off of those base actions to, to constrain the defense. It's, again, it's just arrogance. It's stubbornness. We have a really limited route tree. Uh, basically, if the defense and the cornerbacks are playing tight coverage on us, they're playing that press man like like um, South Carolina was doing, we wanna, we we'll, we basically check to nine routes, which is a go route. And depending on the leverage, we either try to throw over the top or on the back shore, depending on what leverage the cornerback is playing with. If they're playing soft cover three or playing some sort of bail technique, then we just side adjust into hitches or out routes. Everyone knows what we are going to do, and we know that they know what we're going to do. We just don't care because we just think we have better athletes than you. And that that wins that wins you what? We've won 29 of the last 36 games. Let me do the, our, our is it 29 of the last 35 games. Let me do the quick math here on that. So that's the percentage, 29, 35. So it works about 82% of the time. But uh, 18%, when they figure out what we're doing, they can kind of match us with personnel. We have a tough time doing anything. Um, I, and I was like, watch Oklahoma. You're talking about LSU. You're right. LSU looks great. I love watching Oklahoma play offensive football because they have their base actions. And people think that they're just like a, an up-tempo team that throws the ball down the field every time. Dude, guys, th- they run the football more successfully than anybody in America. They have their base actions, but they do multiple things off of their base action. They constrain the defenses, which is what offensive football is all about. They get a lot of love for that pass game, but their running schemes are a thing of absolute beauty. you got motions, moving the defense, getting them out of position, uh, forcing them to reveal coverages. Uh, the RPOs are attached to almost every single run. The guard tackle power they've popularized and continue to build upon, that is a play sent from heaven, man. Oh, my God, I love watching it. Oh, and oh, yeah, by the way, they're leading American yards per rush. But no, 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 no. We are too good to do any of that. We have better players. We don't need to get fancy over here. I just, I, it drives me crazy, man. And Kurt, I'm, I'm, I want to bring this up real quick. Uh, sense of urgency in the second half. Did you see any offensively? Um, no, when we did, it worked at the end of the third quarter. Yep. And we would do it like sporadically. Like we'd, we'd go into a drive and we'd we'd snap the ball three or four times, like one or two seconds left on the clock. And then we get a first down. Then we go hurry up for one or two plays. Then we go back to wind the game clock down to under five seconds. And it's like, I don't, I don't understand what we're doing. It's, it's, it's almost like we were playing, especially in the fourth quarter. Did you get the feel like we were almost playing for overtime? Yeah, we did. Uh, that's, I mean, and maybe that wasn't the mentality, but that's what it felt like to me because we we were we were down by a touchdown. We were we were. It's almost like we were playing as though we thought we were up by a touchdown. We needed two scores to win that game in regulation, but we were. It seemed like the way that we were we were kind of structuring our offense, going with no tempo, no consistent tempo at least. Uh, that we were just saying, okay, we just need to get one score and we'll beat him in overtime. We got a backup quarterback in there. We have better players. We get to overtime. We got the we got the best kicker. We'll be fine. And you know what? None of that worked out. So. Great job there. I, I was freaking out in the stands like, oh, my God, what are we doing? We were limiting possessions. We needed possessions. We needed to score twice in the fourth quarter to avoid overtime. Anything can happen in overtime, and we saw that. We saw the definition of anything happening in overtime. And the, a, a big reason it came down to overtime is because we had no sense of urgency. Of course, we were not playing well offensively, but we 
we're not even trying to go with any sort of tempo, which we always say is what Jake does really well. And I think he did do well in those situations this week on Saturday as well. If there was anything he did well in those moments, he was playing well. Uh, but man, we were just letting precious time, precious seconds click and click and click off that clock. It just, uh, man, um, safe to say we got out coached, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think we've kind of gone over that, but just to sum it up there, yeah, very safe to say we got out coaching this one. Yeah, I get they had a bye week as a good coaching staff, but I don't care, man. That has nothing to do with Kirby waiting 12, 13, 14 seconds, however many seconds it was on that last South Carolina drive in the fourth quarter when we stopped them about two or three yards short of that first down. Adam Anderson chasing to carry on Joyner down from behind. We should have called a timeout immediately there, but Kirby eventually calls a timeout, but he waits at least 10, more like 11 or 12 seconds before he calls a timeout there, which were 11 to 12 precious seconds that could have given us a better chance on our final drive to get those, what, five to ten extra yards we needed to set up Rodrigo for a game-winning field goal that we could feel really good about. And then when we get in that last second situation on that last drive for overtime, I know it was a long field goal and he already missed a long one before halftime, but why not at least line up and give Rodrigo a chance to try a 55-yard field goal there? It's certainly not a high percentage kick, but you at least have a better chance to make that field goal than somehow catch a miracle Hail Mary in the end zone. Those things had absolutely nothing to do with South Carolina's coaches having an extra week to prepare. That was just in-game failings on the part of our staff and our head coach. Just unacceptable. When you get out-coached and when you execute that poorly, make poor decisions, um, That's a, again, that's the recipe for getting upset at home against an inferior opponent. That happens. Uh, so all that was terrible, no doubt. Uh, Kurt, let me at least ask you this, man. Was there anything positive, maybe, possibly, to take out of this game? Not offensively. No, not offensively. What about the defense? What you see from I them? mean, I thought the defense, like we said, outside that one big play, they kept us in that game. Yeah, I got to give my, my man Alexander Pierre, got to give him some props, give him some credit here. Um, he uh, tweeted out something. He did the research there, so props to you, my man. Uh, he said, you know, South Carolina, they kicked a field goal to tie the game with 10 at 10 with 231 left in the second quarter. And that's the last time they're often scored in regulation. Um, after that, the, the drive summary for South, South Carolina reads as follows. Punt, 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 miss field goal, miss field goal, field goal. But South Carolina did nothing after that. And it, um, it our defense certainly gave us every – they definitely did nothing in the second half. I know that Helensky went down, but – our defense gave us every single chance to win this football game, played very well, but the offense just uh, could not get it done. What about Jake Camarda? I thought he bounced back pretty well. Yeah, you have to think he did. I mean, a 60, I mean one of them was a 66-yard punt. He just absolutely boomed it, and there was a huge ovation in the stands when he when he kicked the crap out of that one. So I thought he bounced back really well, and that's, kind of, that's what we've seen from Jake Camarda. He has that ability. That's why he's consistently tried out there, but it's just stringing it together consistently. He has not been able to do that. So hopefully that was a sign of things to come moving forward. Um, because he's a guy that I think certainly can um, can can be a big weapon for us if he can just figure out how to do it consistently. What about George Pickens? What did you make of his performance? Um, I thought he played well. Um, I mean, he's still learning, but I thought he went out there and fought and gave us a chance to win. If Cager continues to have to deal with uh, – hopefully this is not going to be the case. If, if he continues to deal with this injury and continues to, to give him issues and he's in and out of the lineup, can Cager be that number one option for us? Um, I'm not sure if Pickens can just because he hasn't learned all the um, leverages and things like that yet. Yeah, you can still see he's out there trying to learn, but like in just in terms of his pure athleticism and pure God-given ability, he can be. 
but you're right. You've got to figure out what to do consistently. And I think he's getting better. I think by the end of the year, he can he can potentially be that guy. But we really need to get Cager back in a in a bad way. There's no doubt because he's been our most consistent receiver pretty much all season long, especially since the first couple of weeks. But uh, all right, Kurt, we've talked enough about what happened in this game and what we need to improve on. But I, I want to at least take a few minutes here before we get out of here to look ahead to the rest of the season. Based on what you've seen from this team to this point, including Saturday's disaster, how do you realistically feel about the rest of the season with most of our biggest and I would say most difficult games still ahead of us, maybe outside of the Notre Dame game? How do you feel about what we have ahead of us? Um, I feel we're working our way towards a 9-3 and three finish. Is that what you're predicting right now, 9-3? and three? Yep. So you don't see this team still having a chance to be a college football playoff team? Um, unless we make some drastic changes offensively and, you know, show some less stubbornness, which they haven't shown they're willing to do, then I, then I think that's where we're headed. That's a very real possibility. Uh, I, I'm not going to say you're wrong. I can't discount that or really argue with you too much. All, all I would say, kind of playing devil's advocate there, um, here's me trying to be optimistic, right, trying to find the silver lining. Going back to the LSU game last year, I mentioned a little bit earlier, I think a lot of us felt the same way we feel now, maybe a little less frustrated because we – LSU was a much better team last year than what South Carolina is this year. But we all felt this way. We felt, oh, what's wrong with the offense? Jay Fromm's terrible. If we don't change things, we have no chance. Season's probably over. Yeah, but we still had a lot of big games ahead of us, and we went out and we won those games. We beat Florida, beat Auburn, and we're able to, to still find our way in this SEC title game and find ourselves half a quarter away from winning the SEC title for a second straight year and find ourselves in the college football playoff. This team can still do that. This team is significantly better than how we played on Saturday. That was not who we are. That's – Honestly, I think about as poorly as we could play offensively. I don't expect to see that moving forward. And one thing I will continue to say about Kirby Smart's teams, and the issues, Kirby does have some issues. He's a great coach. He's, he's put us in a situation where we won 82% of our games over the last two-plus years, 29 the last 35, I want to say. Is, I think that's the number. But we do need to figure some things out offensively. We need to uh, be a little less predictable, a lot less predictable. But one thing that I will say about Kirby Smart coach teams is they get better as the season goes on. That's happened. Even going back to 2016, that has been the case. I fully expect this team to continue to improve, but I do have some concerns. Because if our offensive line plays like that again, and if that's more like what the offensive line is against better competition against the Auburns and the Floridas of the world, I'm not sure how we win football games. I'm not sure we're going to be able to score enough. And if we can't find a way to get receivers open, if they, if they don't get better, which is probably not going to happen because we have who we have, or we don't find a way to scheme them open against good corners, because we're going to face teams with good corners, like Florida, for example, we're going to again have issues scoring. So I I, everything's still out in front of us, I guess is what I would say. We still have a chance. If we go out and we, we should be Kentucky, they're not very good. If we beat Florida, we're in really good shape. Obviously, we still got to go beat Auburn on the road, which is going to be uh, – it's going to take a quite an effort to do that. And can't forget about Missouri and A&M either. Those are two good teams as well. Luckily, we get both those teams at home. Um, but it's all out in front of us. If we can go out and somehow find a way to, in, to get better and improve what we need to improve, it's still out in front of us, 9-3. and three. It's I can't say it's it's – I can't say that's crazy. Uh, I wish I could, but I still think this team can can get where we want to go. We've just got to find a way um, to improve some things. And right, but right now, the, the, my question is: I are we are our coaches willing to make those changes? You know what I mean? And yeah, that, and that's why I don't think they are. Yeah, at the, I mean, at this point, they've really given us no evidence to to believe that they are. Maybe it's just blind hope on my part. Uh, I guess that's what I had to lean on right now. But it's all out in front of us. We have a chance. We have been in a situation before, and we do improve as the season goes on. That's been a, kind of a hallmark, hallmark of Kirby Smart Coach team. So I'm just hoping that happens again this year. But I will say our stretch down, our our, our path down the stretch this year is much more difficult than it was last year or even in 2017. 
we got some serious some serious competition down the road here, whether it's all at Auburn, Florida, and Jacksonville, Missouri, and A and M at home. It's it's a it's a tough road to hoe. We can do it, but we uh, we've got to get a lot better. There's no doubt there. But uh, all right, guys, I don't know what else to say at this point. We did our best to make it through the show today. And our schedule the rest of the week is going to be a little bit different. We should have our mailbag show out in the normal time. We uh, are going to try our best to get our pick show. Uh, I've got some crazy meetings this week. Uh, actually, on Wednesday and Thursday, I'll be in meetings pretty much all day through like 8, 8.30 at night. So it's going to kind of conflict with Curtis's schedule and Charlie's schedule. But we're going to do our very best to get everything recorded for you guys and get our normal content out there to you. The Kentucky Preview Show, I'm still going to try to have that for you guys, either Wednesday night or Thursday morning. And we'll do our very best to have our Picks of the Week show. I kind of have to coordinate that with Charlie and myself and also try to get a guest picker that can fit things in with our schedule. But thanks for listening, guys. Uh, Saturday was terrible. Hopefully we've got brighter skies ahead the rest of the way. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>